You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. Well, good morning. Great to have you in worship. I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to Acts 19. We're pushing through the book of Acts. 28 chapters, been quite a journey, about a year. We're going to start Malachi uh, come early summer. Looking forward to that, preparing right now for that. It's going to be a beautiful study on the covenant love of God. But we're still in Acts. The series title is Being the Church. Uh, We're trying to emulate what God would have us emulate from the first century church. Acts is basically 25 to 30 years, as best we can discern. Three to four mission trips from Jerusalem to Rome. The gospel advanced. Uh, Literally, Rome was the ends of the earth uh, in their worldview, so it really moved forward. Uh, My topic this morning, I think personally, so I'm going to speak to my own heart right now, is one of the most important topics that we've addressed in, in the whole uh, study so far. And so God has worked remarkably in my heart over the past week or so as I prepared for this talk. The title is Dismantling Counterfeit Gods. Dismantling Counterfeit Gods. And so there's a lot of counterfeit gods, and I'm talking small g right now. Uh, so let me start with a story. A number of years ago, a gal, her name is Maria uh, Rubio. She was uh, frying a tortilla in a pan. And all of a sudden, she looks down to the pan, and she sees the face of Jesus. And she's astounded. She calls her husband. Her husband comes in and says, yeah, that's, wow, that's the face of Jesus. She calls a few neighbors. They affirmed it. And wow, she just felt so inspired, so refreshed from God. And so she called the local priest, and she asked the priest to come and and bless the tortilla. Now, just imagine being that priest. Probably haven't done that before. Well, the priest was a little bit reluctant, but said, yeah. The priest came and blessed the tortilla, and she testified that her life was changed. Her marriage was different. She was more peaceful. Since the tortilla came into her life, she was a changed person. And so here's the reality, folks. This happened in 1977, I believe. She built a shrine. She took the tortilla, put it in a case, and there was like cotton balls, kind of like the tortilla was floating in the sky, and she dedicated it to the shrine of the Jesus of the tortilla. Well, she opened that shrine, and within two months, 8,000 people came to visit the shrine of the Jesus of the tortilla. Why do I share that story? Because if you're like me, you probably struggle to connect the ancient world to the modern world. How do we deal with idols that we've seen throughout the book of Acts? Gods made with wood or stone or metal. They seem so pagan, so primitive, so then, and have no relationship to the 21st century. If you're with us for the Acts 17, when we were in Athens, Paul's preaching, just imagine, and there's idols everywhere, altars everywhere. This was the Stoics, the Epicureans, the philosophers of the world. But then he highlighted, hey, you're so religious... You even have an altar to an unknown God. Guess what? We have two of them 
that have been discovered archaeologically, they're in museums. These were the altars, folks. Just in case we missed a god, we're going to cover our bases. An altar to the unknown gods. That's religion. Last week, I mentioned the city of Ephesus. We're going to be in Ephesus for three weeks. Paul preached there probably the longest time in his whole ministry career. Probably about three years as best we can determine. And if you recall, Ephesus was a world-class city. Rome called Ephesus the Pearl of Asia. Here's the temple that you would have seen, something like that. And within this temple is a monumental statue to the goddess Artemis. Artemis was a fertility god. And she promised the known world uh, prosperity. She promised health and happiness, longevity of life, and especially when a woman got pregnant, that her pregnancy would be healthy and come to full term. And the people in Ephesus worshipped Artemis. She was known as the queen of heaven. All of Asia, Acts 19 says, was captivated with Artemis. Now again, you might be thinking, my goodness, how does that relate to me this morning? I think it relates to us remarkably, folks. And so let's take our cues from a pastor. His name is Timothy Keller. He says this, and this caught my attention when uh, I was studying for this passage. He says, the human heart is an idol factory. Think about it. In other words, Keller's saying it's not about wood, stone, or metal. It's about our hearts. Whatever our heart manufactures, whatever our heart creates to be bigger than God is an idol. I'm convinced that's why Proverbs says this, 423, above all else. Guard your heart. Why? It is the wellspring of life. Guard your heart against idols. Guard your heart against anything that becomes greater in your life than God. When you go back to God's covenant love with Israel, and that's where we'll begin when we do our Malachi study. We'll start in Exodus 19. It's all about covenant love. And then in a covenant love relationship, what does he do? He gives those relationship boundaries. I call them the tender commandments. You know what the first commandment is? It's very tender. Let's take a look at it. It's Exodus 20. God says to Israel, he says to us, because this is just so true of us, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Do not have other gods beside me. Literally in the Hebrew, it should be read, in my presence. Right now, we're in the presence of God, right? He's always with us. We talked last week. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. He indwells us. God says right now for all of us, including me, don't have any other idol in your life right now in his presence. Not one. Nothing in our life that comes between us and him that's greater than him. So forget right now about stone, wood, and metal. Let's think about the American idols. And friends, there's many. And so what I would like to suggest from scripture is this, idolatry is not an issue, it is the issue in scripture. Every book of the Bible addresses idolatry, and I mean 
everyone. In the first five books, the Pentateuch of Moses, over 50 times idolatry is addressed. Why? Covenant love relationship cannot beautifully exist when there's other rivals, when there's idols, when there's competition. It just can't happen. That's why God put it out right in the front. If we're going to be in a covenant love, no other idols in my presence. And so to our passage this morning, I hope you have your Bibles. Acts 19 is remarkably powerful, folks. This is the second talk in Acts 19. We're going to focus on uh, the idols in Ephesus and what we need to learn. And my prayer is, and I've already done my spiritual inventory, and please hear me. I'm serious about this. I've spent time with the Lord, confessing my sins, my idols, trying to come clean and making sure I'm moving towards him to love the Lord, my God, with all my heart, soul, and strength. And that's my prayer for each and every one of us here this morning. This is real in the day and age we live. And so let's go to God's word. And so we're going to start out with context is king. We always say that. I'm just going to paraphrase the first 10 verses of Acts 19. But let me throw up uh, verse 10. What happens is Paul's in Ephesus. He's preaching. He's preaching in the synagogues and they get frustrated again. There's opposition again. So what does he do? He kind of, you know, wipes his hand clean and he moves to a place called the Hall of Tyrannus. This is a lecture hall in Ephesus. A number of years ago, Ellen and I went to Ephesus. We did a study tour. We know exactly where that was. It's near the library and it's people would gather and lecturing. But look what it says. And his preaching, his lecturing, his ministry went on for two years. And this is powerful, folks. So that all the inhabitants of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the message about the Lord. You have to put it into context. So guess what happens? And I hope I can use this vernacular here this morning. All hell breaks loose because Paul preached in Ephesus right into their center of uh, the gods about Jesus. And so we're going to pick up the story there. And so as we think about dismantling uh, counterfeit gods, as I read through this passage, I saw such relevance. And I want to uh, highlight why I believe scripture says idolatry is not a sin. Idolatry is the great sin. Because all other sins stem from counterfeit gods. So I want to give you four reasons, and then we'll try to make it very relevant and applicable to all of us. So reason number one, idols function as a substitute for God. Idols function as a substitute for God. In essence, that's what they do. They're substituting God. God, we put you on the shelf. You become our God. So where do I get that from? Look in your Bibles, Acts 19, verses 23 through 24. So again, remember, Paul's preaching right in the heart of Ephesus. Two years, the kingdom's coming, people are believing, there's opposition, and here's uh, some more of what's going on. During that time, there was a major disturbance about the way. And I love that phrase, the way, where does that come from? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. They literally picked up in the ancient world what Jesus said he was. So now the church in that part of the world, Asia Minor, is being called the way. What a cool thing. The way to what? The way to God. 
the only way to God. Paul's preaching the gospel, and some are responding, but some are really frustrated. And notice uh, who steps to the plate. For a person named Demetrius, and notice Luke gives details. This is a real person. Notice his occupation. A silversmith who made shrines of Artemis provides a great deal of business for the craftsmen. And so you go to Ephesus, you go to your museums, guess what you're going to see? You're going to see Demetrius's craft in the museum. Let me show you a picture of some of the silver idols that existed in the ancient world. These are in museums all around the world. They made these idols, yeah, wood, stone, metal, but they were gods. They brought meaning to their life. Think about it, folks. Artemis provides health, wealth, provides fertility, pregnancy, to uh, delivery. What a gift. Longevity of life. It sounds like the American dream. This is everything that the average American dreams about. Long life, health and wealth, beautiful family. They worship her because she promised that and they believe that with all their hearts. Now, let me show you just a few verses and we'll come back to this. Acts 19, 28 when there was an uproar, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Acts 19.34, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. This is real, folks. This isn't just kind of fabricated. They were all in. We're talking worship now, bowing down. And so can I give you a definition of an idol? And I really believe this is worth writing down. Because we need clarity in 21st century America. We need to connect the dots from the Old Testament, Exodus 20, to the New Testament, these pagan practices to today. Because if we don't, we'll live idolatrous just like them. So here's what I would like to suggest about idolatry. An idol is anything functionally more important than God. Think about that just for a moment. An idol is anything functionally more important than God. Anything in our life right now today that is functionally more important to God is an idol. And folks, the sad thing is they can be good things in our life. Do you realize that many good things become idols, become many gods? Sometimes we're pursuing health and wealth and prosperity and we pursue it so much, we have so much affection for it, it becomes our God. It gets in the way. Sometimes our careers. I certainly can align with that over the years. My passions to achieve and accomplish this. You know, if you're familiar with Strength Finders 2.0, my top five, I'm an achiever. I want to see things happen. And boy, if I want to overachieve, it can become a God. I had a gentleman, a dear friend, really, been to Mali, Africa with him. He did a lot of mission work with me over the years. He came to me one day broken. He says, Keith, I need to confess a sin to you. I said, well, the Bible is very clear. Confess your sins one to another. Love covers the multitude of sin, and thank you, and we'll pray. So we confess, and he says, you know what? <clears throat> I believe golf is a god in my life. I was a little bit stunned, because I like golf. So I said, well, let's talk more about that. He says, yeah, I dream about playing 18 regularly. 
And sometimes I compromise my spiritual life, my family life, my pursuits in kingdom work to get on the golf course. <laughs> I was like, wow. So I said, well, what are you going to do about it? He says, I'm taking a respite, a sabbatical from golf, so I can get realigned with God again. So I said, we're not going to be playing for a while? He says, right. Folks, that's practical. And I know for you it might seem, man, that's just weird. No, it's not weird at all. It really was a distraction because it was an affection. And so let me ask a question. Right now, today, just as you just look at the past week or month, are there any substitutes in your life where, where you just know that's coming before your relationship, your walk with God? It's a valid question. Secondly, reason number two, idols function to satisfy the soul. Please don't miss this, but they never do. Idols function to satisfy the soul, but they never do. Why do we pursue them? Because we want satisfaction. Remember Mick Jagger? He had it all, but I can't get no satisfaction. Remember you too? Still haven't found what I'm looking for. We pursue, we chase after, we have all these ambitions. And what happens? We think they're going to satisfy the soul, they don't. Let's take a look at where I get that from. Look at verses 25 through 27. So Demetrius is uh, one of the opposers right now. He wants to start some trouble. So when Demetrius assembled them, as well as the workers engaged in this type of business, he said, men, you know that our prosperity is derived from this business. You both see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, which is modern-day Turkey, this man, Paul, has persuaded, love it, and misled a considerable number of people. Think about the accusation, but notice what the accusation was. By saying that gods made by man are not gods at all. Folks, highlight that, underline that, circle that, clip and paste that, do something with it. The gods made by men are no gods at all. And I'll tell you something, there is a plethora of gods in our society, in our culture. Pursue this, you'll find happiness. Chase after that, you'll fill the emptiness in your soul. I believe this with all my heart. Paul is a absolute Jewish uh, scholar, knew the Old Testament, and he knew Ecclesiastes 3.11. You know what Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, paraphrase? that God has put eternity in our hearts. We have a longing for him. You know what Blaise Pascal said, the great mathematician? He says, there is a God-shaped vacuum in our heart that can only be filled by God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And until that God-shaped vacuum is filled, guess what? We'll just keep pursuing. We'll keep chasing after. But when God comes into our life through Jesus Christ, that's the gospel. Wow. He fills our heart, fills our soul we find satisfaction. Can I encourage you as gospel people? This is just so important. When Paul preached the gospel, he always addressed idols. Why? Idolatry, counterfeit gods are the issue. It's not a sin, it's the sin that they all stem from. And so he preaches against idolatry, why? He wants to help people be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. 
Paul was on mission, going after the idols of our hearts. Thank God for that. But folks, please don't miss this. That's just not a starting point. That's an ending point. Every day of our faith journey, you and I are going to address the idols of our hearts. Every day. And the question is, who will get our allegiance? Will it be God? Will we love him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength? Or will it be things of this world? As we said last week, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. We pursue things of this world. It's our choice. Now you might be saying, is that truly the gospel? It is the gospel. When you read the ministry and teachings of Jesus, you'll see that Jesus always addressed idols. Always. It's just what he had to do. Why? Because it's a hard issue. Let me show you one verse, very familiar to you, Matthew 6, Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5 through 7 is preaching against some of the idols of our hearts. No one can be a servant, a slave of two masters, since either he'll hate the one or love the other, or be devoted to the one or despise the other. Notice what Jesus says here. There's a dividing line. You're going to have to make a choice. Jesus says when it comes to at least one resource, money, You cannot be servants or slaves of God and money. You have to choose who's going to be your God. It's one or the other. What's going to have your affections? What's going to have your your passions and your pursuits? Jesus drew the line in the sand. And thank God for that. So at least we know where we stand. And it's such a gift. How many of you are Tom Brady fans? Let me see your hands. Okay, well, sorry if I tick you off this morning, so, you know, <laughs> shouldn't even say that. All right, so remember, here, here's the thing, and I, I'm, I'm okay with Brady, although New England and Buffalo were big rivals, you know that, right? And you know I'm still in agony from this season, right? Seven seconds left, right? Isaac Norton remembers it well, seven seconds left. Ugh. All right, so Tom Brady, he's got three rings, three rings. And here's what he said at that time. He says, with all my accomplishments, with everything that I've been able to achieve, there's still something missing. Now, check this out, guys. You want to see the cool picture? It's got seven rings. And guess what? He came out of retirement this week. Just go get retired and play some golf. I don't know. And so... I'm curious, and I'm not trying to point the finger, guys. I look in the mirror first. I'm not trying to point the finger at Tom. I'm just trying to maybe use as an illustration. Three Super Bowls, seven Super Bowls. Man, your rings, I guess you could put it on a thumb, right? Um, He's doing well. He's coming out of retirement. My question for Tom is why? Is there a God-shaped vacuum that can only be filled through the gospel of Jesus Christ and bring the ultimate satisfaction you're pursuing? Now, again, I'm not opposed to him coming back, playing with Tampa Bay at least another year, getting another ring. That's fine. The real question is, why? What is the motivation? What is the unfinished business? He left us hanging, didn't he? And so I'll leave that to Tom, to God, and to us to at least maybe examine our own heart. And so, how do we make sure there's no substitutes, folks? How do we make sure that we're pursuing God and he is the ultimate satisfier of our soul? That's a real question when it comes to this topic this morning. Reason number three, and please don't miss this, stick with me. Idols function as a rival for God. And folks, that's different than substitute, okay? Let's talk about rivals this morning. 
Uh, look at verse 27. This is remarkable to me. And again, I just take the Bible, face value, what it says. Here's, here's what we learn. Verse 27. So not only do we run the risk, this is Demetrius again. He's preaching. He's the businessman. We're losing big bucks if we let this guy Paul keep this gospel stuff going. So not only do we run a risk that our business may be discredited, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be despised. Notice this phrase. And her magnificence <laughs> come to the verge of ruin. And notice this next phrase. The very one all of Asia and the world adores. Friends, take Luke's writings at face value. This was the reality. Rome says, the pearl of Asia. She's the queen of heaven. She promised more than most of us bargained for. This is a big deal. Everybody's worshiping Artemis in Ephesus, and the world adore her. So, Going back to the original language, I just said, okay, what does this word adore mean? Here's what it means. To bow down before, to honor, to sing to, to worship, to venerate. This is worship, folks. This is giving your heart to the queen of heaven who's going to provide all your needs according to her riches and glory. The sad thing is, it was false. So track with me. Idolatry is a serious sin because it always competes for our affections, our attention, our allegiance, and ultimately, our worship. God created us for worship. John chapter 4, Jesus pursues worshipers who will worship in spirit and in truth. This is about worship. Nothing more, nothing less. And so going back to Exodus 25, again, Covenant love relationship, Exodus 19, boundaries, parameters for, here's what God says, you shall not bow down to them, meaning the idols, or worship them, for I am the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Camp there for a moment. I'm curious right now, when you hear God say, I'm jealous for you, how do you feel about that? Does it feel weird? Does the word jealousy have a positive connotation in your language? It's very positive in scripture. When God says he's jealous for you, you know what that means? Because he loves you so much, he wants no rivals between you and him. Just imagine husbands and wives, right? Spouses should be jealous for each other. Would you agree? We're jealous for each other. Jim, are you jealous for Jane? You could say amen. All right, you could say it louder. Okay. So let me tell you one story. I told the pickleball guys this uh, yesterday morning, so stick with me here. Um, this is 20 years ago, and I'm kind of not a newlywed, but I was a newlywed. I'll stay a newlywed for a decade. And um, so Ellen was a breast at the time, and uh, I officed out of that coffee shop just to build relationships in the community and have ministry. Well, there was this gentleman, and you know, I'm not trying to pick on anybody who's bodybuilder. Um, but he's, you know, he's decked out, all kinds of muscles, and very handsome, and that, that athletic kind of guy, just the opposite of me. But he had this flirtatious everything at the coffee shop, okay? And I, it just kind of rubbed me, rubbed my soul. So one day, Ellen's serving the coffee, he's here, and I'm behind him. Guess what he starts to do? You, you know what he started to do, right? 
starts flirting with my wife. So guess what happens? The street warrior that I am <laughs> flares his chest. I said, dude, it's my wife. Yeah? It's my wife. Stop it! So he stopped it. And uh, guess what? We became friends from that encounter and really had some cool ministry with him. But I always remember that. What got my heart? What got my go that moment? I'll tell you what. You don't flirt with my wife. Period. I don't care if you're as big as Heath. You're going down. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Ain't that true? No guy who has that kind of heart for their spouse would let that happen. Think about God's affection for you. He loves us so much, he gives us one and only son to save our soul. He wants no rivals, guys. Zero. Okay? It's out of love. It's not an ogre. He's not mean. It's out of love that I intervene and say, hey, dude, it's my wife. Oh, well, sorry. So thank God that he's jealous for us. Thank God he's passionate for our love relationship. Amen? So, can you think of any rivals right now? We use a thing that's very simple in uh, uh, thinking. We like to use transferable principles. We say, hey, live generously with your time, treasure, talent, and touch, Right? I believe you could take those four things and say, what did this week look like in my faith journey? Did I have time with God? Was I a person of prayer? Was I in fellowship with him? Did I have time in his word? Again, I'm not talking legalistic, check the box. I'm talking affectionate time. I'm in a love covenant relationship, right? How about generosity? Folks, I can tell you one thing. I could pull out my checkbook, although Ellen doesn't let me touch it, I don't, I don't keep it balanced real well. That happened 31 years ago. She took it away. Yeah, I was kind of plus or minus a thousand, and she was like, "That's not good." Um, you guys will find out what that means someday. And so, um, even even your checkbook speaks volumes. Again, I'm not trying to be mean. I, I, that's just not my wiring. But I'm trying to help us see what really has our attention and our affections and our hearts. Even our talents, guys. There's so much talent here. Are we investing that talent for the kingdom and glory of God? It's very measurable to know where your rivals are, your affections are. Now, finally, we wrap it up. And we got a big chunk of scripture to hit, and I think we're on time. Uh, reason number four, idols function as a delusion about God. And please don't miss this because, again, I just let this passage speak. It spoke to me so deeply. But track with me in verse 28. So Demetrius whips up the crowd in Ephesus. 250,000 people are there. There's a lot of people in Ephesus, one of the most populated cities in, in the ancient world. And look what happens. When the people heard this, they were filled with, notice the word, rage. Began to cry out. Can you imagine? Try to put yourself there in, in that context. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with not only rage, but confusion. 
they rushed all together into the amphitheater, dragging along, notice Luke gives details, Gaius, Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's traveling companions. Thank you, Luke, for being precise. This is historically accurate, a valid document that we can hang our hat on. Though Paul wanted to go in before the people, the disciples did not let him. Even some of the provincial officials of Asia, who were his friends, sent word to him, pleading with Paul not to take a chance by going into the amphitheater. Isn't that great? I think what they already knew is if Paul goes in the amphitheater, they would rip him apart limb by limb. He was done. He was finished. Why? The, the business was at stake. You look at uh, Ephesus in the ancient world, it was kind of like the World Bank. And believe it or not, the Temple of Artemis functioned accordingly. How interesting. And so finances were at stake, worship was at stake, who Ephesus was in the known world, Asia and Rome, was at stake. So Paul doesn't go in. Let me show you a picture of the amphitheater. It's a remarkable place. It's quite an archaeological site. 25,000 people could be seated there in the ancient world. Quite a remarkable place. Now, track with me. I'm going to read a long passage of scripture, verses 32 and on. Meanwhile... Some were shouting one thing, some another. Because the assembly was in confusion, most of them did not know why they had come together. Can you imagine? This is mob mentality. This is people just kind of, you know, creating a ruckus and let's, let's cause trouble. Then some of the crowd gave Alexander advice when the Jews pushed him to the front. So motioning with his hand, Alexander wanted to make his defense to the people. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, a united cry went up from all of them about two hours. Notice this. Can you imagine two hours in this great amphitheater, thousands of people saying, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. That's mob mentality. That's a riot, folks. That's a ruckus. All because of the gospel. All because of worship. However, notice this. The city clerk had calmed the crowd down. He said, men of Ephesus, what man is there who doesn't know that the city of the Ephesians is the temple guardian of the great Artemis and of the image that fell from heaven, right? Queen of heaven. Now notice this next phrase. This is remarkable. This was their worldview. Therefore, since these things are undeniable, undeniable what? That she's the queen of heaven. That she's the God of fertility. That she's going to promise you life, health, prosperity, everything you need. Since these things are undeniable, this town clerk is saying, you must keep calm and not do anything rash. For you have brought these men here who are not temple robbers or blasphemers of our goddess. So if Demetrius and the craftsmen who are with him have a case against anyone, the courts are in session and there are pro proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you want something else, it must be decided in a legal assembly. Pretty wise character. In fact, we run the risk of being charged with rioting for what happened today since there is no justification that we can give as a reason for this disorderly gathering. After saying this, he dismissed the assembly. After the uproar was over, Paul sent for the disciples, encouraged them, and after saying goodbye, departed to go to Macedonia. I want to highlight Verse 36, one more time. Don't miss this, please. Therefore, since these things are undeniable. You know what this clerk is highlighting? He's highlighting one thing, and please don't miss this. He's highlighting that worldview 
matters. That was his worldview. Artemis is a goddess. She came from heaven. She's a queen of heaven. She's the goddess of fertility. And you worship her, she will provide all your needs according to her riches in glory. Health and wealth, prosperity, long life, fertility. Folks, that's what they believed. And they believed it with all their hearts. You know how powerful worldview is today? As a man thinks, so they'll live. Your worldview matters. You know why preaching matters? You know why Bible study matters? You know why life group matters? You know why daily reading of the word matters? It forms a worldview that's God-centered. It's the mind of Christ. Jesus says, you'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. We're talking about truth matters. And there's so many lies today. My dear son, months ago, said, Dad, I just, I just don't even know what to listen to anymore. I just want to shut it all down. I get that, but you can't. You got to turn this on and let the truth shape your worldview. Let me introduce you to a gentleman. His name is Robert Belay. He uh, wrote a book, Habits of the Heart, that impacted me some time ago. He said, the worldview, the dominant worldview, can be summed up in two words uh, for 21st century Americans. And let me show you that, that phrase. It's, it's a remarkable thing. This is a very important phrase. It's called expressive individualism. And what that means is, you choose. Just put the Bible on the shelf, forget about what God says, what Jesus says, what the word of God teaches. You get to choose. You get to create God in your own image. You get to create your own worldview. Don't let a guy like Paul walk into your city and dismantle your foreign and fake gods. It shouldn't happen. And friends, the sad thing today is really what happens is expressive individualism basically suggests this. You are God. You get to choose. You can create God in your own image. You can worship the way you want. You can write your faith journey. It's totally up to you. You know what Paul said? He lovingly said, no, he won't do that. Let me show you what he says. In Acts 17, 23 through 24, he's in Athens now. Remember the altar to the unknown gods? He says, therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, he is Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in shrines made by men. Paul countered the gods. He wanted to correct the worldview. He wanted them to know the truth, Jesus, so they could be set free. Thank God for the gospel. My worldview was wine, women, and song all the way up to age 19. Thank God for the gospel, that God corrected it through truth. I thank God. I feared marriage. Well, I saw a divorce twice. I didn't think really marriage could happen in a way that I thought would be meaningful. And so I just kind of dismissed it. And then all of a sudden, I read that, the Bible highlights marriage. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wow, really? That's how marriage can go down? Yes. Being in covenant love relationship from the day you marry to the day you die. Remember our vows? 
Yes, that's worldview. I want to encourage you, shape your worldview and work hard at it. Read the best things. Not just average stuff, read the best stuff. Let me give you a few encouragements this morning. Number one, you want to shape your worldview? Uh, Albert Moeller is one of my go-to guys. He's the president of uh, a seminary. He's just a brilliant thinker, a godly man, a big heart. You want to learn how the biblical worldview can connect to today, what's going on in the world today, get his podcast, try it out once or twice, the briefing, and let's talk. Uh, Ellen uh, listens to him. I do too as much as I can. He's remarkable. Secondly, here's a great resource. Maybe you've heard of the Truth Project. This hands down, I think, is one of the greatest studies to help you shape your worldview. Do it as families. It's thinking. It's heady. You're going to learn a lot, I'm telling you, from all the disciplines of life. And there's many. But see how the Bible shapes our worldview for everything. Life groups, we mentioned this a few years back. This would be a great curriculum sometime. But it's families, it's individuals, it is absolutely remarkable. And so how do we close out this morning? I want to help us all dismantle our idols. And remember, I've already started, okay? So I got a jump start on you. And I thought to close with four heart-searching questions. So would you stick with me? And if you're taking notes, please, these are very important. Question number one, to dismantle your idols, it might be helpful to ask this, what do you complain about most? You might say, how does that relate to idols? Well, <laughs> let's see if we can relate it. Let's say you um, are frustrated continually or uh, regularly hear yourself complain about your finances. Could it be that money's too big in your life? Secondly, what if you regularly complain about your circumstances? Could it be that you've made safety, comfort, security an idol? Paul in prison, Philippians 2, don't grumble, don't complain, don't be like that. How about at home? Are you a fragrance of Christ at home or is there a lot of whining? Do you whine against your spouse? Do you whine against your kids? Do you whine against... Some of their foibles, challenges, grades. Maybe we've put family expectations in a place we shouldn't. Now, I'm not saying don't pursue excellence at home, but don't be a complainer at home. Secondly, what infuriates you? <laughs> this this uh, hopefully will, will capture us. Are we so competitive or jealous that we can't stand when another team wins or another teammate gets the ball or the credit? How do we respond when we're sitting in traffic, when someone cuts you off? Why does a stranger potentially have that kind of power? Maybe you're short-fused. Maybe you're quick to be angry, or you struggle to forgive. Could this suggest the most ancient idol is in your heart, the idol of me? It's all about me? Three, what obsesses you? Third John's really interesting book. There's a verse, I'll read it to you, verse 9. Diotrephes, who love to have first place, dot, dot, dot. Does the limelight obsess you? I got to have first place? It's narcissism, folks. And it kills. Are you gripped with the need to control? Do you have a disposition that says, it's my way or the highway at work, at home, in the community? 
Instead of being a team player, a collaborator, does the spirit of perfection drive you? Are you never satisfied with God's good gifts? And perfectionism is way different than pursuing excellence. Let's always pursue excellence. Let's cut each other slack. Is your identity tied to recognition, to affirmation? I remember as a young preacher, it's nice to hear, hey, good job, pastor. And I tell you, I had to work through that in my heart because I was making that affirmation of God. I had to learn to just put it aside. Lord, this is for you, regardless of how it happens in people's lives. And finally, and this is, I think, the most important one. Where is your sanctuary? Where do you go when you're hurting? Do you turn to substitutes? Like eating, alcohol, drugs, sex, illicit sex, media, gossip, slander, revenge. The Bible says that God is our refuge. He is our strength. He is our ever-present help in time of trouble. Where do you go? Where is your sanctuary? I tell you, that is revealing, folks. If you go to the bottle, you know where your sanctuary is. If you go to some pills, you know where your sanctuary is. Now, there's a right place for some healthy uh, social practices, but I'm talking about when you're broken. When someone hurts you, do you want revenge? You get kicked, you want to kick back. All those things can be God's. If you're bitter and that just kind of infiltrates elsewhere, becomes a God. How do we do soul surgery here this morning, folks? I could tell you my story. This past week, as I studied, of course, how can you come before the church without saying, Lord, search my heart, try my thoughts, see if there's any wicked way in me. And without being specific this morning, certainly there were a few gods, small g's, that came to mind that I just said, Father, I confess in Jesus' name, I no longer want to pursue them above you. Please help me. It's Ephesians 2. I want to have Jesus as a first love. It's the great commandment to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. No substitutes, no rivals, no empty affections pursuing him all in. I want to invite uh, our worship team to come back up and we'll close with a verse. So stand, we're going to worship together. I believe this with all my heart. As you read the Bible, I believe one thing really happens with idols, and it comes from Matthew 11. Jesus looks at the people in first century and what they were pursuing, and he gives an invitation. And the invitation is this. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Why did they need rest? I don't think it's because they're overworked. I don't think it was an issue of 60 to 70 hours a week. I think we need rest from the gods of this world. The things that pursue our affections that never ultimately satisfy. Come to me, Jesus says. Make me your first love. Embrace the gospel which transforms the heart and gives new life. Put God front and center 
today, this week, and beyond. Then you'll experience rest. You'll find rest for your soul. Have you come to him? Are you experiencing that rest? Let's pray together. Father, how beautiful to know that you love us and that you're jealous for us. We thank you for the gospel that dismantles the idols of this world and puts Jesus on the throne. And Father, today we bow before the God of heaven and Jesus Christ, his son, and the Holy Spirit. And we worship you. We adore you. And Father, I ask in Jesus' name that you would do soul surgery today in my life, my home, our church, each life, each marriage, each home represented here today. Lord, have your way. Break down our idols. Help us to make you our first love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.